Yeah. We, we like to be with our friends. When we eat together, we like to be with our friends. We, we like the invitation to sit around a table. Later on today, I'm going to be spending lunchtime, I think, with Lou and Chris uh, in that way. Um, I've known Lou for many years when he was the association treasurer, and we're grateful to the church for releasing him at that time. Uh, and I count them as my friends. It's not a chore, let me say, to go to their house for a meal. But sometimes it is, isn't it? Sometimes there are some people and you think, I really don't want to go. But I ought to, because I'm a good Christian. Yeah. But if I leave it long enough, then maybe I'll find something else creeps into the diary and uh, it stops us wanting to respond to it. And, and yet, as we read Scripture, time and time again, there's an invitation from God to come into his presence. That reading from Isaiah started with that sort of invitation, command, whichever way you want to look at it in the Hebrew, which was come. Come on, get stuck in. Come and enjoy this. Come and have fellowship one with another. And that reading from Isaiah was written 600 years before Jesus, at least. It was a message proclaimed to the Jewish people who were at that stage in prison, prisoners, in exile in Babylon, the country covered by what we know now as Iraq. Years before, they had been taken into bondage, as it was, into exile. The Babylonians had uh, conquered Jerusalem, and they were, they were carried off into that strange and foreign land. When I uh, arrived this morning, somebody came and said, where's Simon? And Andrew's response was, well, Simon's got on, gone on holiday, but we've imported another Welshman to take his place, as we said at the beginning. And uh, the, com the conversation went on somewhere about Officer Dyke not being quite big enough. I think the implication was that maybe the Welsh can sort of... Yeah. Uh, but I class it that, that the English need good missionaries. In that sense. And you've had Simon Harris here for many, many years as a missionary amongst you. I knew Simon's father quite well when we were in South Wales. This message that Isaiah comes and preaches, of course, to a people who are in exile, people who are struggling with life and all of the rest of it, actually resounds as a message of hope. It's one that says there is a future, there's a bright future for you if you actually follow along and he shouts it out. I want you to imagine him in the marketplace. A few months ago, I came over and met with Julie Kite, and we went and sat outside the theatre and had a coffee together. That's a great place for, for open-air preaching, I think. You know? A place where, uh, you know, perhaps you would have put Steve Goke Roger up there next year rather than the, in the halls you use it. It's a place where people will gather in one way or another, and you will hear, and Isaiah here finds himself, I think, in the marketplace, shouting out loud, come to the water if you're thirsty. Even if you haven't got any money, come. It's free. It's free. Come buy without money. That's always a bit of a teaser, isn't it, in, in the Scripture? What does he mean, come buy without money? in that sense, and eat at no cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, your wages and what fails to satisfy? Satisfy. Listen, listen to me, and you will have good things to eat and rich food to enjoy. Pay attention. Come, listen, 
and your soul will live. When I open my Bible again this morning, it's not the first time I've opened it, you need to know in preparation for this morning, I noticed this morning when I laid it out on the lectern here that I've underlined three words in that Isaiah passage many months ago, and it was these words, come, see, and seek. Come, come together. See what God is doing amongst us. Even now when we're struggling with life, he says to the people of Israel, come and see the good things that are going on. And in your seeing, start to search for that deeper meaning of life. In it all. The invitation then to the feast is not one which is laid out on a platter in that sense for us with fruit and vegetable and uh, all the rest of it, but it's an invitation to feast on God and to receive nourishment for our souls. Isaiah invites the people to leave behind the everyday life in Babylon and all the activities there which ultimately don't matter. They're but a passing phase. And to respond to the invitation to a feast which is given by God. And alongside that, there was the note of saying, we need to change our ways. We need to repent. We need to seek forgiveness of our sin. We need to move on, for the Lord is ready to have mercy. Isaiah prophesies that the return to Jerusalem will be greeted with great natural signs and wonders. The world will break into song as God brings Israel back to the promised land. The curse of thorn and sin is removed forever, and their place grows the trees, in their place grows the trees of paradise. There the theme of paradise is reignited and regained. The picture of the glorious place where God is. And it reflects for us God's power to transform even the most difficult of situations. And that's the hope, not just for those pre-Jesus and when Jesus was alive, but the hope for those of us who are post-Jesus, that God in Christ can transform our lives, transform our ways, transform our ways of living in that way. It is a message for then but it is a message for now as well. Isaiah's message, powerful as it was, has power and meaning for us 2,000 plus years after it was first proclaimed. And I think there are some significant things within it. As I mentioned early on, those three key words for me in Isaiah's passage, come, he calls people to a feast. In the same way as we are called sometimes by invitation, to an event in one way or another. Called to come to the water and to drink, even if we have no money. Called to buy corn and eat, even when there's no money. To feast upon wine and milk and the choicest food. And Isaiah goes on and asks why we spend money on what fails or does not satisfy us. And as I read that this week, I started to think, you know, it's not very different. In 2009, that we see things appear, the latest bit of kit and technology that we need, yeah, and we think it will satisfy us, 
and all the rest of it. And I'm not knocking technology per se, let me say, because right? I use a fair amount of it myself these days. But I do wonder at times if I can remember what it was like before I got an Amstrad. Those of you who don't know what an Amstrad was, that was one of the first computers. Okay. What was it like when we had the old imperial typewriter with the carbon paper that you used to get that blue stuff on your fingers after you'd been typing it? And why are we ruled by computers today? And then on Friday night, I put my television set on and I find that Microsoft have now published Windows 7. It's supposed to be the best one yet. Better than XP, better than Vista, and all the rest of it. And there'll be loads of us who yesterday, not me, may I say, all right, rushing out to PC World and all the rest to buy this new bit of kit. And we'll spend hours pouring over our hard drives and all the rest of it in order that we might get something slightly better until the next one comes. And Isaiah says, why are you wasting your money on food and milk which does not last? We wear certain clothes, we live in a new apartment, we drive this car, we drink this designer cocktail, we listen to this music, we go to this bar in the town that is the bar to be in, then we will be happy and fulfilled. No, we won't. It will fulfill us for that moment as we pass through. Last year's car is now worth many thousand pounds less than, the, than when it first came off the forecourt. We spend our money on things which don't satisfy, on things which don't last, in our desire to find happiness and fulfillment. And Isaiah says, why do you do that? And the answer is, well, we need them. We need all this stuff. We need this stuff to make life comfortable for us. And that's fine, and there's nothing wrong in all of, that, all of that, until the moment that these things become our God. That that is the thing we worship. Now there are some things worthy of worship. Those of you who watched Piers Morgan last night, interviewing Catherine Jenkins, I'm not suggesting you worship Piers Morgan, but you know what I mean. Okay. There are some things that are worthy of our attention, of our ongoing attention, our ongoing life, our focus and all the rest of it. And maybe our attention is more drawn to what is said by Dr. Luke when he says, when you have a, a meal, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, because if you do, they may invite you back and so you get repaid but instead invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Maybe it's just about where we focus our attention, where we focus our missionary activity. The invitation to the feast, and yet he does more than this. Isaiah goes on, he doesn't just tell us what we are doing is daft, he gives us an alternative. He invites us to a feast. And Jesus picks the theme up in Luke's gospel 
where everything on offer is free and satisfying. If we'd read on in Luke, you'd have come to the parable of the great banquet. This is what is on offer. Isaiah describes it as a banquet for all peoples in the days to come when alienation of humanity and God's own people will have been healed. Then there'll be a real banquet or covenant meal with all humanity present and God's Messiah presiding at the head of the table. And to us today, the invitation is, come. Little word with powerful meaning. Come. And Jesus would say years and years later, come to me if you're weary and you're heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not the rest that an extra hour in bed gives you. Although it was nice, wasn't it? But rest that satisfies, that sticks with it. It's a vision of a new society where God's abundance is satisfying and fulfilling. It's a symbol of the life we have when we become friends and followers of Jesus. When values change and life changes. Because we've come to the one who is the living water, the one who gives us things for our soul, Jesus. It comes at a moment when we know we are created to glorify God by using our gifts and skills. It comes when we know we are called to live by the values of love and honesty and integrity and joy. comes when we discover that life has meaning again and we don't need to chase fulfillment in a bar or a bottle or a car or a t-shirt. It comes when we hand ourselves over to Jesus and allow him to shape the lives that we are. And that's not just a once event, it's an ongoing one that this Christ-like God takes us and continually reshapes us into what he wants us to be. But that can only happen if we respond to the invitation to come to him, to learn from him. I grew up in a small suburb of Swansea in South Wales. In our front room, uh, we had uh, a pedal organ it was incredible, a beast of a machine. Yeah. Um, all these stops you can pull in and out and all the rest. I didn't understand it from anything. You know, if you give me a football, I know what that is. Give me a rugby ball, I know what that is. And I can remember a cousin coming to stay at one stage and her project for that time was she was going to teach me how to play this organ. And Elizabeth sat me down on the stool and... Uh, we went through all the scales, you know, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, and all the rest. And she showed me where to find it and how to do it and the piano and the rest of it. Andrew, if I tried to play your organ now, it would be an absolute disaster. You know, why? Why? Because I never, ever, 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 ever practiced properly. Because that was, in all honesty, my friends, that wasn't the gift God had given me. Yeah. And I'd much rather in those days have been out with my mates playing football as we did regularly during the week. 
But if God has given us a gift, then do not hide it, but use it for his glory. And here we have a picture from Isaiah and then from Luke of a meal which we share each week in worship when Jesus acts as our host and as our servant. And it's not just a meal that's seen in bread and wine which we often have before us on a Sunday. But it's a meal that takes us beyond the now, beyond the come. To that next stage when we may see the goodness of God in who we are and what we do together as God's people. And God can only work through us when we are repentant of the past. It's not just about saying sorry. It's not just about mumbling through a confession and listening to comforting words of forgiveness. You know, the famous statement, whenever anybody prays about forgiveness and all the rest of it, we always ended up, I think, with these words of Jesus, your sins are forgiven you. It's the sort of thing that we just cast out. And that's true, isn't it? Our sins are forgiven if we come to God through Christ. But it's not enough to be forgiven. Jesus says you need to turn from the way in which you're walking and to follow this way. Come and see how good it could be if you follow me, he says. For I will give you life and life eternal. Repentance is about changing our lives and our lifestyles. The Bible uses the word to mean to turn around, to say sorry. But it's about turning ourselves into different people, allowing God to turn us into different people. It means finding God's help to turn from one life to another. It means that God is always there through the thick and the thin. And so there's invitation throughout Isaiah and indeed throughout Luke, Luke's gospel to come to see and to carry on seeking, carry on looking, carry on trying to discover that which Christ has called you to be and to do in this day and age. It's about transformation. I often tell the story of the first time I stood up to preach in that small Methodist church in South Wales. I had... Uh, Spent hours and hours and hours preparing that first sermon. It was a masterpiece. It was going to be the best sermon anybody had ever. Billy Graham had not a patch on me. Steve Goat Roger, who's he? And I wrote out this sermon in the back of an old exercise book, 14 pages long. And I stood up in front of that very small and gracious congregation and preached on the seven I am sayings of Jesus in John's Gospel in 20 minutes. These days it takes me 20 weeks. And I thought this will be good for at least half an hour and it was about nine minutes. Yeah, And some of you wish, I wish it was nine minutes now. But I was able, by the grace of God, to take that gift of the gab that he gave me and it's been used for his glory. The whole thing is transformed. 
in his vision in Isaiah 55, Isaiah sees a nation being transformed. Well, if ever a nation needed to be transformed, then it is today. And not just our nation, but others. And we can only be transformed when we become the righteous people. You know, that last verse that Beryl read for us from Luke's Gospel, although you cannot, they cannot repay you, they cannot repay you in this world, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous because you have been righteous. You have done the right thing. If you have called those from the highways and byways to feast with us, not just in terms of meal, but in terms of spiritual fellowship, And here Isaiah's picture of nature being transformed as God's purposes are revealed. Mountains and hills bowed before the people. Even the trees of the countryside clapped their hands. The thorns and weeds will be replaced by good trees and there is promise in abundance. But, and there's always a but, the promise of abundance is only Guaranteed to those who come and see and seek the presence of God, not just in their community life, but in their individual lives. And how that then is taken and expressed in the world in which we live today. There's a promise for the future. We enjoy the feast. We find our nature is changed. We grow in discipleship. We find that Life more and more according to the design and purpose of God is the way in which we live together. We learn to live in right relationship with each other and with the world. We allow God to reconcile all things to himself. And at the end of the process, at the end of this reconciliation, every human being, every nature will once again be as it was, transformed and giving glory to God. The message from Isaiah and from Jesus in Luke is to come and see how good God is. Let's sing together as we close.